you watch a professional athlete in any sport, run a pattern, run a play, do whatever it is that they do. And you just look at them and you just think, man, that looks easy. That looks so easy. But it's not easy at all. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of practice. So it's a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication. And to do things at the scale that that Packstone as a group is doing right now, it's that same level of dedication and that persistence that has to be there every single day. Because right now we're dropping 37,000 plants every wow. single week. This is Lit and Lucid, your after-work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back, consume your favorite cannabis products, and get cozy cozy in the the lit and lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. It is Thursday, and you know we are recording another episode of the show. Joining us today is Skip Motzenbacher. He is the CEO of Pacific Stone. Located in Santa Barbara County, Pacific Stone is a market leader in California cannabis. This family-owned and operated facility grows over a million square feet of flour, specializing in single-source cannabis. Skip has more than 25 years' experience in asset management and private equity, consumer packaged goods, and retailing, as well as real estate development. This wealth of knowledge has led to a success in the regulated cannabis industry. So with that, we're super excited to learn more about Pacific Stone, as well as more about Skip's background. So with that, welcome, Skip. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you guys? We're doing good, you know. We're we're stoked to be kind of back at it and, and talking to you here, Skip. And uh, you know, we a new area we really haven't ever kind of touched in. And we're happy to be back in the West Coast and more specifically back in Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara is one of my favorite places to visit and beautiful place. If you've never been there, I'd highly recommend it. It's like a, a great little unique place of earth of it's just a different place. It's really cool. It's beautiful. So let's kind of get into it, Skip, and let's talk about, you know, a little bit more about Pacific Stone and and more about you. I know you have a pretty extensive uh, professional background and, uh, you know, uh, basically, a, you know, a career of a career in its own. And and now you've kind of started yourself a, a kind of a new path. So tell us, you know, how did this whole thing kind of evolve to kind of lead you to uh, the cannabis industry? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the the sort of the shortened version is that I, I started in CPG um, in dealing with uh, chemicals and, and other packaged goods and really, really enjoyed that. Um, really retired out, uh, went into money management for a minute and uh, had success with that. And in uh, in 2012, really started exploring the cannabis space, um, specifically in the San Diego market, which is my hometown, uh, really specifically my hometown, Pacific Beach. And uh, if you're familiar with that as well, uh, a little bit like Santa Barbara Beach community. Yeah. And um, uh, in 12, you know, that's when we were still under the 215 guidelines for cannabis in California. And I could see that things were starting to change. And so I really, you know, started taking an interest in in the local uh, politics of what was happening and how that was ultimately going to going to progress. <clears throat> but then in 2013, I ended up losing my mom and um, I, I lost her to opioids. And as a result of that, that really just pushed me hard into the industry because, uh, you know, she had had three uh, vehicle accidents uh, or uh, multiple car accidents, but three back surgeries as a result. And wow. was just in incredible amounts of pain. And I just knew 
that there had to be a better way for people to get ultimate pain relief than something that was going to be deadly as it was for her. And so as a result, that really just sort of catapulted me into the space, um, first in real estate and then with a PE fund that I started with a partner. I think you guys know that I uh, I led Urban Leaf for a little bit uh, as a retailer based out of San Diego and uh, made my way to Packstone, which is just a CPG company. That's really what we do. We, we do a lot of large-scale ag. I would love to have you guys come visit our facilities, but um, but that's really what we are. We're a CPG brand at, uh, at heart, and so it's it, good to be back. It's like a return to roots, but with a greater cause, if you yeah. will. I love that. Well, let's talk about Urban Leaf a little bit more um, because I know that you grew that dispensary to over 400 employees in seven locations. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, what did you learn from that experience? Uh, what I learned is that retail is the most difficult sector <laughs> in the cannabis space. Make no mistake about it. Um, anytime you're rapidly growing, but you're dealing with the regulatory and the compliance and the taxation that goes along with it and all of the, whether it's state or local and municipal guidelines, it's a challenge. But at the same time, I also learned that, you know, culture comes because people work for people. And when you have a great organization that's, that's growing, whether it's dynamic, dynamically growing rapidly, or it's just a, a static organization that's already at scale, you know, great organizations are made up as, of great people. And um, it, was, it was a lot of fun going through that particular ride at that time, uh, really kind of scaling up from a single store to seven locations and just everything that was involved with that. Yeah. You know, the challenges at the time you could imagine during COVID oh, created wow. a, a, whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of unexpected things, which I, many companies are still dealing with today. You know, I, I think many are still dealing with today. So, And I was curious because I saw that you're a fourth generation San Diegan. So do you feel like, you know, staying and sticking with your roots has helped you maybe, you know, in terms of understanding the culture, or like you said, hiring, you know, really quality people and things like that? Do you feel like that was a part of your success as well? I think so. Um, you know, I it's California cannabis is just different. The, the culture has been here for generations. Mm-hmm. It just has. And, uh, and I think those who, I, I, that's, I, and I've often said from that perspective, you know, it's kind of like great wine. Everybody thinks of someplace like Napa. Mm-hmm. I think for many generations to come, you know, great cannabis, people are still going to think of California. It just, it just is, it's part of the culture. It's part of the vibe. Um, does growing up here help with that? Probably, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, they're great cities, you know, Santa Barbara is a, phenomenal place as well. So it's, uh, it's just a California vibe. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Yeah. I looked up, you know, Pacific stone, it, it, like you guys really do capture that vibe within your website and, and I'm sure everything you guys do, it's really kind of on brand and like within theme and, and kind of tied with like the local communities too. I like that. Uh, one thing that's already kind of stuck out to me is, uh, you know, I, I've heard you talk a little bit about CPG a couple times and, and I know that's kind of a big push now in the industry to kind of professionalize the industry uh, make it more robust and a little more legitimate with, you know, consumer packaged goods kind of being the focus. Um, but into kind of understanding that and knowing that that's kind of bred on the retail side, uh, did you see some of that coming while you were at Urban Leaf of like the need uh, to kind of go this other route and kind of look at it more in a professional light and, 
and go the route of CPG. And then now that you're Pacific Stone, um, or is that is that all like coming up now and you're kind of leading the charge? Because it is it is kind of an interesting dynamic that you went from retail backwards to a product manufacturer. Like a lot of people, I feel like go the opposite direction. So I'm sure there's a lot of insight you brought to Pacific Stone. Yeah, I think it I think it worked both directions. You know, having started in CPG, um, going through being on the retail side being on CPG right now, I think it just provides a lot of uh, interesting industry perspective because um, you get to see it from multiple vantage points. And I think one of the blind spots that a lot of organizations uh, can have is that they just get very myopic in terms of their perspective. They think it's a certain way and they don't understand, let's say, the the other side's perspective. They don't have that empathetic response, if you will, to really try to understand, let's say in this case, how challenging it is to effectively run retail mm -hmm. or what some of the challenges might be when you're trying to create a brand and you're trying to get eyeballs and attention to really go create a true brand following, you know, mm -hmm. and just, uh, so I, I think that they play off of one another. Um, the drive for brands long-term, it's not going to go away. You know, cannabis is going to ultimately replicate many other industries that are out there. And I know there's lots of comparisons, uh, and we could talk about any of those in particular, but the reality is, is that, you know, brands are something that consumerism is driven off of. And so to expect that that's not going to be the future of cannabis as well would be a little bit, uh, a little bit myopic going back to it. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I know being a flower producer and being a cultivar as we are, um, and we're pushing over a, a million square feet at this point of actual flower. And, you know, with hundreds of SKUs and, you know, multiple brands between Packstone and Time Machine, the reality is, is you still have to have a core competency. You still have to have a consistency and you still have to have a reason to buy for what it is that drives your product. And that's something that I think about and talk about often. And I legitimately think that, you know, consistency is the one thing that truly drives a brand, whatever brand it is, whether it's a store whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a good or an item that you buy, if it wasn't consistent, just ask yourself the question, would you keep buying it? Yeah. I challenge you that the answer to that is no, you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So talking a little bit more about Pacific Stone, I know you did become the CEO in 2000, uh, 2021. So what, you know, is it consistency that made it one of the top brands in California being in over 600 stores or what's kind of the secret sauce? I think so. I it's definitely, you know, we we sort of coined it as quality, consistency, and value. Um, I would say this, um, you know, back at uh, in, in retail uh, speak, it used to be that you know, if, if flour, let's say, was under thirty dollars, then it had to have been outdoor, and if it was thirty to fifty, then it must have been greenhouse, and if it was over fifty, it must have been end up. That's just kind of how the price lines were effectively set up, and pack zones out there, you know basically doing everything from the creation of a clone uh, or sometimes utilizing, you know, tissue culture, if you will, but taking it all the way through the growth stages uh, from veg to flower to ultimately drying, bucking, curing, processing, and then either making pre-rolls or packaged flour. Nobody touches the product in between. It's just us. It's just driven by our team and that's it. Nothing is outsourced whatsoever. And so when you think about that from a, from a quality perspective, and then you realize that you've got eights that, you know, don't sell over 30, they sell for less than 30, less than 25, sometimes less than 20 on sale. 
And uh, Time Machine, it's the smallest brand, it's really driven that way. It doesn't even uh, occur to anybody that this must be something other than outdoor flower. And in fact, if you were to walk through, you'd see that everything that we do is purely done through, you know, Dutch style, I mean, large scale greenhouses. And I think that drives the quality of the product. So we have the consistency with the genetics and our style and our SOPs, but then we've got the quality. And then the value equation is just the fact that it sells at a price that people just don't, you know, you don't really start to comprehend that. You must think, like anything else, if you guys bought something off the dollar menu at a restaurant, you're probably thinking that it's not going to be as good as the, you know, seven or eight dollar happy meal that you're going to get. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though you're buying it from the same place. Well, you know, a couple of things to unpack there and to kind of jump back into the point before about consistency. That's what kept popping up in my mind of, of, you know, what is the need for a brand? And you're totally right in that the need for a brand is to produce a consistent product. You know, if you go to the store and you're buying toothpaste every week and every week you get it and you think you're getting, you know, sparkling spearmint and you taste it and it tastes different, uh, you're going to be a little upset of like, I thought I was buying sparkling spearmint and I really like this and, and every week, you know, it's different. And, and so people in the cannabis industry, they have to understand that it is going this way. It is trending towards brand and it isn't just slap a brand on it and you've won. It's the idea that it is a CPG. It's a, it's a good it's like uniquely defined by its aspect and its parameters and flavors and potential and these things. And, and it's a repeatable experience for the consumer that somebody can keep coming back to. That's what people want. And, and I get it. I totally get it with flour. It's like people have been really struggling with flour to, to try to, you know, figure out how do I, you know, produce this consistently? How can I get the same strain, a consistent test result, and then consistently package this and then, you know, deliver it to consumers where they can consistently find this at a retail shelf. And, and that's been a big problem. And so I could, first off, I could see why the need to, to kind of go the route of CPG, go the route of brands, because uh, the consistency is an aspect that's much needed. And then on you guys, one of our big things we want to talk about today is kind of this misnomer that anything that's not premium isn't good for the industry. Or like there's this battle between craft cannabis and and, you know, people just like mass producing cannabis. And, and a lot of these arguments fall short with the idea that they're not even taking time to understand the consumer market. And, and uh, Lucy and I talk about this a lot. And, and even ourselves, I have to admit that we don't typically buy premium flour because it's too expensive for us. Like uh, we'll, we'll go indulge, we'll go buy an eighth here and there and, and spend, you know, 60, 70 bucks on a nice eighth and, and we'll enjoy it. It's like going to a, a nice dinner on a Friday night, you know, you, you go buy it you know, a $70 steak and you enjoy yourself. But the rest of it, it's, we're on a budget, you know, money's tight these days. And, and most consumers, if they're like Lucy and I, we're just trying to, you know, spend our money wisely. And, and that includes uh, buying cannabis that's, you know, valuable to us, that is good, it is premium cannabis, but at an affordable rate. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. You guys are feeling, you know, this huge hole in the market of high quality cannabis at an affordable price that's approachable, where somebody's not just going and and buying it once a quarter because they can afford it. And then they don't, you know, revisit your brand for three months. It's something they can uh, consistently purchase and, and get the same value out of it. So I think that's really cool. And, and, you know, tell us a little bit more how, you know, this philosophy kind of evolved and how you guys kind of came to kind of fill this role in the market. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think it, um, I think it stems back to 2015 at the start of the organization. So you had, uh, you know, legacy growers that understood, you know, indoor hydroponic, growing styles. So the ability to grow, you know, really, really high quality product um, in a classic indoor setting. 
but then that group getting together with a different group that was, you know, sixth generation Dutch greenhouse farmers. And I like to say it's really this perfect blend of art and science, if you will, sort of the art of cannabis, which unto itself has a craft element to it, right? All the way down to the genetics. But then you've got this science element where it's really, how do you do things at large scale? And I often like to, you know, draw that comparison. You watch a professional athlete in any sport, run a pattern, run a play, do whatever it is that they do. And you just look at them and you just think, man, that looks easy. That looks so easy. But it's not easy at all. It's a lot of practice. So it's a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication. And to do things at the scale that that Packstone as a group is doing right now, it's that same level of dedication and that persistence that has to be there every single day. Because right now we're dropping 37,000 plants every single week. And, you know, early on, I would often sort of point to one of the facilities because we're in multiple locations, um, all in the same region, but multiple spots. And I would refer to it as the factory. And I'd be reminded by the sixth generation of Dutch farmers that, you know, look, it's not really a factory. You know, we, we're, we're, we've got climate issues. We've got sunlight issues. We've got things that are beyond our control. So no matter how much you want to control, you don't get to pick which days you want sunlight, which days you want cloudy and how much sunlight. You know, you're, you're still regulated by an environment yeah. that is not entirely in your control, no matter how good you are, right? Because it's not indoor. It is, it is, it's just a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. But as a result of that and, and all of the experience, I think that's where it all ultimately starts to shine, shine through, where you've got this art and this science and, and we're able to just do things at scale. And I'm, I'm still thrilled, honestly. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> if you guys are ever, I actually, I know that you go to Santa Barbara. So when you were out there, I would encourage you to come by and, and let us give you a tour and take you through because it's, it's really something spectacular to see. Yeah. No, I love that. Jared has been bugging me since I met him to go to Santa Barbara. So maybe we'll have to come out one day. I would love to. <laughs> um, but that's something, you know, that I appreciated with the brand is that they are family owned and operated, especially in today's market. You know, there's lots of big boys coming in and kind of taking over. And I'm glad that they're still sticking with their roots, as well as, you know, the sixth generation of Dutch farmers. You know, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it was six right. generations and they've been cultivating right. for a really long time. So I'm like there's got to be a lot of heart and passion into that. And I'm sure that's reflected in their, you know, their grow. And then also, like you said, pairing it with the science, like growing cannabis is very technical. It's not as easy as just putting in some water and the plants are going to grow. It's very, very difficult. So I love that you guys have found that balance, but also kind of stuck with your roots to, you know, keep that passion alive and really provide that high quality cannabis to consumers at an affordable price. Um, Like Jared said, like, that's incredible. It, it is kind of hard to find, you know, high quality cannabis here at a low price. So the fact that you guys are tackling that and, you know, the fact that you already are in 600, you know, different stores across California, obviously the consumers are recognizing that as well. So kudos to you guys. Yeah, I thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And it, it, and that's usually to me, I would say that's for, for many people, you know, especially those who will come through and do a tour and then they find out that, you know, the people who started the organization and who effectively own the organization are still involved in the daily operations of the organization. It, it gives it that it really is a personalized touch. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, we've talked a lot about, you know, whether or not we're big cannabis or not, just because we're doing things at scale, 
not everybody wants to do everything at scale. You know, not everybody wants to run a chain of restaurants or a chain of stores Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing, right? This is just something that ultimately just we grew into, found out that we were good at it, stuck with it and scaled up, but somehow managed to just remain private and still are private and still everybody who's an owner is actively involved in the company. And that's that unto itself is a bit of a, of a unicorn, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. At least at least this today in cannabis it is, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I can speak on that as well, too, because uh, there is a larger brand here in Colorado that uh, I personally had the opportunity to tour, you know, right when I first got started in the industry. And they kind of have a bad rap of being big cannabis, you know, because they are of large scale. But I mean, I got to meet with the owner and he walked around for two hours and showed me the facility and just the passion that he had. Like, I've never spoke badly about them since then because it's like, but you don't know who these people were. Like, it's still, you know, just a guy and his family or whatever. They've just had the ability and understanding on how to scale. So it doesn't necessarily mean because you've scaled now you're big cannabis, right? Like, you could still have those ethos of being small, you know, town company, you know, and you're just able to figure it out, which is the best, right? I mean, that's the whole purpose of business is learning and being able to scale. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Well, I know you guys do a little bit more than just flour with kind of your end product. And I know you guys sell obviously the flour directly to dispensaries and, and people can purchase it in, in various sizes. But, you know, tell us a little bit more about some of the other products you guys are offering that, you know, kind of provide consumer, uh, you know, a couple different ways to, to enjoy your flour. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, it's true. We, um, we, we have, uh, pouches available in, in all, in both of the brands, um, eighth quarter, half and full ounce size. Of course, uh, we do an awful lot with pre-rolls. I think Paxstone right now is as of today has 19 different strains of, uh, pre-rolls nice. and we only sell Paxstone pre-rolls in really two different formats. Either there's a tube with two or there's a, a case with 14. So it's a seven gram pack because they're all done as, as half gram uh, reefer style uh, pre-rolls, right? And um, what's what's great about that is that, well, we're producing about 1.6 million per month. So there's just <laughs> that's, a, that's there's a high production. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's and still being done, you know, I mean, at, at, large, at large scale by hand. So there's wow. that personalized touch. Yeah, because I mean, otherwise, you know, you're you've got quality consistency issues, yeah. right? So you know, pack too tight, pack too loose, not uh, not within scale. Um, but you know, I feel like again, we we have that dialed in where we've got scientifically, you know, how to pack it, how to seal it, and there's there's enough inventory turn so that you know the product is itself always relatively fresh, yeah. which is important. You know, you, you, nobody wants to buy something if it's really old and then find out that, you know, well, it was good once upon a time, but <laughs> yeah. now, now it's less so, right? Um, we do have some other um, carts and, and vape, you know, standard carts and all the ones and whatnot. We uh, candidly and honestly haven't made a, a really big push with that yet because we feel like there's some opportunities still with flour, mm-hmm. specifically with, you know, infused flour. So we recently have done things like a high-end jar to just really kind of show what, what a greenhouse could effectively do. So you're talking about an eighth jar that has maybe two to four or five nugs in it. And they're they're Instagrammable as good as any other flower out there. They look fantastic. We've also done infused pre-rolls uh, starting at the beginning of this year because 
you know, I mean, if it, if it takes 10 minutes to get your trip started, but you can limit that to, you know, starting your trip in one or two minutes. Well, that seems to be a common theme these days. Uh, you know, everybody wants a launch period that's uh, faster than yesterday. So again, really just trying to address the market needs, but still be true to the organization and to the product and, and not sacrificing the quality of the bud or the flower. Cause the pre-rolls for instance, are always made with whole flour. So we're, we're never putting any, you know, additives or trim or shake or anything like that. It's just pure flour. And then we're just obviously infusing that to, to give it a bigger bang for those who, who, uh, who are interested in that. (laughs) There you go. And that's fun. And I know you guys also recently launched a a new collaboration with time machine brand and it was just released. And I got to say, it's a, it's a pretty cool, I mean, the Pacific stone stuff is really cool. Uh, and then time machine is like a whole different kind of unique vibe and it's really kind of a brand within a brand and, and really it's fun, you know, so tell us a little bit more about time machine and kind of, kind of their offerings. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it, it is fun. It's, uh, it's really cool. If you haven't seen the the packaging, um, it's, you know, it's got uh, holographic style, um, foil that it's printed on with, you know, translucent ink and it's all about a visualized story. Um, it's, uh, certainly something that would resonate with, you know, the gaming culture, if you will, just mm-hmm. because it's really, really graphic oriented and we've got a graphic novel and we're doing some other, uh, unique things to, to sort of tie that all together to get better consumer and social engagement just because yeah. it is so much fun. Yeah. Um, the one thing uh, about that product, because I mentioned before that it's really just a smalls brand and what ended up happening is as we started, uh, you know, a couple of quarters ago, moving towards creating the, the product I was telling you about before, uh, uh, more of like a halo brand, an eighth jar um, that is only two to you know five nugs. Well, now all of a sudden we're, we were left over with residual product. Mm. And we looked at that residual product and said, well, what are we going to do with this? We've got smalls left over. And we didn't want to just you know do something like Packstone Smalls. So ultimately we just did Time Machine as its own freestanding brand with its own separate storyline. And it's true. I mean, Packstone is really about lifestyle when it gets right down to it, right? You talk about Pacific Beach, you talk about Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just laid back lifestyle. Time Machine, value-driven, Smalls brand, but meant to be fun and meant to be, you know, engaging Mm -hmm. and just different, right? Same family, same quality of product, just different. And you know, I, I dare I say it's a little bit like Toyota and Scion. Still yeah. comes from the same factory, just a little bit different. Yeah. It's so dope, though, you guys. You should check it out. I started following their Instagram today, and it's all like trippy alien vibes. It's super cool. Yeah, um, it's really cool. It's really freaking cool. Uh, and then I also realized I've been seeing that lately. That's like more the vibe in California now where like the packaging is really creative and like graphically designed specifically for flower brands. So I'm glad you guys caught on to that and kind of are riding that wave because it's really cool. And I mean, the spacey vibe, everybody's kind of into that right now, too. So that's cool. Uh, which it one is. of your brands was the one I thought I saw somewhere where like you had 28 joints or something in a pack or something along those lines? That's that is uh, that's time machine. Okay, it's that's a cool. it's a it's a half an ounce in pre rolls, so Holy it's cow. 28 half gram pre rolls, and that's one of the best sellers in uh, in that lineup right now. So uh, still, you know, same quality of whole flour, but uh, but it is really cool. It's really engaging, and <clears throat> we've created some interesting characters. Uh, as part of that package development, and they're going to continue to evolve over time with, again, more like a graphic novel that yeah. um, 
starts to unfold. And it's meant to be, you know, engaging for the audience. Um, and that was the whole point of creating that inter interactive element of the brand versus just having, you know, a nice logo on a package that mm-hmm. you recognize. And that's kind of it. Let's do something that's a little bit different, cutting edge, that gets people really engaged and, you know, get some get some more involved with it. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I love that. I would go fun. buy some for sure. Right. I think it's even cool too, you know, and what's what's funny about this is is there is kind of a push towards these value brands and and it's almost like the value brands are like so cool that mm-hmm. I wish they were here like this whole time. And and it, it's really fun to kind of watch the ingenuity and creativity that's kind of coming out now to kind of recapture kind of interest, you know. And I could hear it a little bit in your voice, Skip. You know, are, are you having fun with this stuff and <laughs> and kind of helping to kind of reinvent, you know, the way cannabis is sold and kind of bring kind of the CPG, uh, you know, kind of brand aspect to it? It's I, I got to tell you guys, it's so much fun. We have we have such a great time. Um, I, I mean, even our whole team, we're just everybody is uh, everybody is so engaged and having fun and collaborative with one another and. You know, even even outside consultants that we have brought on, you know, I, I will often meet people and I'll think, you know, they're really cool or they're really creative or they got a great vibe. And, you know, you just want to do something with them because, look, I don't care what it is that you do, no matter how much you work or don't work. If you're working, you're spending time doing something. And it shouldn't be that work is bad and everything non-work yeah. is good. It should be that if you're working, you're doing something and you're really enjoying it, you're having fun and able to contribute and create something that has a lasting impact. And I feel like, you know, our whole team is really designed to do that. And I'm super proud of them. They're a fantastic group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Really incredible. And I, you know, just looking at what you guys are doing, we come across a lot of individuals and and stories and stuff. And what you guys are doing is really incredible. You know, just from the scale of your operation to the, to the thought, you know, that's put into it and just the idea, like we touched on earlier of trying to create a product that's premium that people want and that people are, you know, demanding, but also the other piece they're demanding is that they could afford it and they could consistently purchase this and it kind of fills a, fills a gap in their lives and, and you guys are doing it. And so, you know, I hope that others listening to this can, can kind of, you know, peak some interest, I guess, and look towards, you know, look towards the West to, to kind of a lot of how, how a lot of this is being done and, and maybe how to kind of, you know, reinvent stuff in the future. Cause even in Colorado, there's not a big focus yet. And this is something we push a lot of, uh, focus on like branded flower, and it's really hard to find that consistent kind of process. And don't you know? Don't get me wrong. There's concentrates and vape pens and edibles all day that are perfectly branded, and you know they're you know sure. carving out their their market share. But you know, flower still has a long way to come. And I think we all crave the day that we can you know consistently go back to the same dispensary and get the same strain and have that same experience that we all grow to love. And and you guys are doing it. So you know, kudos to you guys. And, and I think it's a great thing you guys are doing. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Uh, we, we agree on that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I know you've, you know, been in the California market here for a long time. So what kind of takeaways have you, you know, learned over the years from the California market as well as what do you see for the future? Gosh, the takeaways are that I think that in general, a lot of times people uh, hear that you're in cannabis or that you're doing something in cannabis and it sounds something like, oh, man, oh, you guys are growing that much weed. Oh, you must have made me get a ton of money. That's amazing. You know, and it's just like, like, it's just easy. Yeah. And it is incredibly, incredibly hard. I mean, take any other, take any other sector of any other industry and just magnify it because it is incredibly difficult. And my observation is that people in this space work harder than many other industries. And it's hyper, hyper competitive. 
And, you know, then you're also dealing with elements of, you know, what's the truth and what's just the storyline that's out there because there's always a bunch of chatter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very difficult to, to run a business that's totally regulated and compliant. You're following all the guidelines and the taxation and then deal with, you know, missiles of other stuff where people want to make up a story or just, you know, come up with something. You're just like, man, it's just hard enough to just stay focused on your business. You don't want to deal with all the other noise that's out there. Yeah. So I think that over time, uh, hopefully that that uh, quells, uh, quelches a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I think I would have the same expectations that anybody else in the space would over time. You know, are we going to have some form of safe banking? I'm sure that we will eventually. I'd love to see that. I, you know, I, I get concerned that um, the the path to perfection on legislation is ultimately the deterrent to that very legislation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a real concern because, you know, there's certain things that have been expected to have happened already and that haven't. And it's almost as if, you know, there's only one play and it's going to be this Hail Mary pass uh, of like a one and done on whatever the perfect legislation is going to be. Yeah. And it's not going to be that way. It's never been that way. So that's one thing. There needs to be better enforcement, uh, especially in California. I mean, there's such a legacy culture and industry that's out here. And um, and you've got almost two different things just running in parallel right now. So yeah. for those on that side of the fence, uh, trying to adhere and ultimately adhering to the regulations and the compliance and all the taxes, <clears throat> and then having to compete with groups that don't have to do that at all or just not subjected to it or just opting out of it, that's really tough. I mean, think about it, you know, in, in, in any industry, if you have a group that's regulated and a group that's not regulated, you know, that's just, uh, it's, it's incompatible. And so at some point, something has to change in that regard. And then, you know, clearly at the federal level, it'd be great to see um, something ultimately change. You've got the vast majority of the states and the population right now, I mean, it's probably the least polarizing topic out there, right? right? And yet it's a, you know, we happen to be in an election year this year. Are they going to agree on anything? I don't know. No. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe both parties think that there's a pass one way or the other. And that's ultimately, you know, we can't do anything because we don't want to give this other party a pass. And I'm just sitting there going, but what's the right thing to do? Yeah. What does the consuming public want? I mean, you've got caffeine, you've got sugar, you've got alcohol, you've got tobacco, you've got pharma. You've got a lot of other things, like it or not, that are drugs that are being sold every single day. Uh, Cannabis is really not that different. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. And as somebody who just like does my best to cut alcohol out of my life. It really pains me every night to get on watch TV and there's nothing but alcohol ads and different kind of, I mean, it's just celebrated and, and I get it and, and alcohol is a thing and I'm not saying don't go consume alcohol, but I prefer cannabis. And so, you know, there's gotta be millions of people out there just like me of like, it's, it's normal. You know, I'm not like a law breaking person. I don't go and raise hell every night. Like I'm pretty chill at home. I stay home. I pay my bills. I do my thing and, and I smoke cannabis. And so, you know, I think that should be a right afforded to many. So, no, I think what you have to say is all like you hit pretty much all the topics on on their head. And and I agree. I think the simplest thing that could happen right now to really shake up the whole market and make it a lot easier for operators like yourself is safe, safe banking. So I think safe banking would start this domino effect of the IRS having to, you know, come back and, and revisit 280E. And then that alone, 280E would open up a great deal and probably free up millions of dollars in revenue for a lot of these you know, really stringent companies that are operating by the book every day and paying too much in taxes that they shouldn't be paying. And 
And so I think those two things are things that that can happen without Congress, in my opinion. You know, safe banking could be a thing, but I think if public pressure and public awareness ramps up like it's done with millions of different things over the years, um, this is something that could get addressed pretty quickly, uh, bipartisan or not, I think. Even, you know, I almost wish the states would push it a little bit more and, and, you know, just get something done. It's crazy. We've been talking about this for years and years and years and nothing's ever happened with safe safe banking. And and the 280E thing is just something that, it just seems to get more convoluted as time passes. So you'd think even the IRS would want clarification for themselves <laughs> at some point. So, you know, agreed. Progress, yeah. to, progress to be made. But uh, you know, I, I'm glad people like yourself have really stuck it out and and have done the right thing and and still kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and haven't you know thrown you know thrown it in yet and, and keep pushing because um, you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I think what you guys are doing is great and. And it's a model that needs to be replicated across the U.S. at some point. So, you know, keep, keep, you know, doing the good fight, Skip. I think what you guys are doing is great and, yep. and uh, it'll all come you. around. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. We're sure trying. Uh, I, yeah. Again, we're, uh, we're really dedicated and we enjoy it. And, and dare I say, I mean, to be successful at anything, you got to be really passionate about it. Yep. And, uh, and I know our whole team is, but especially with cannabis, because, you know, everybody always thinks that there's a, some finish line and it seems like with every finish line there's just another start line right behind yeah. it yeah. And, it, <laughs> and it just keeps going so yeah definitely but, uh, have to be resilient and you guys are yeah, yeah. absolutely i, I always you. say it's some of the toughest people in this world right now are probably cannabis operators so uh one of these days agree with that. it's all gonna <laughs> it's all gonna pay off you guys are all gonna be hell of business people by the time this is all said and done so no but i mean it's but it's if you think about really where we're at right now I, I often say and believe that we're maybe around the top of the second inning for the industry, you know, and whatever it is, it's still really, really early days. There's a lot of people right now who probably feel like it's the 13th inning. Yeah. And that's a real challenge. You know, how do you, how do you keep going when you feel like it's the 13th inning, but it's only the top of the second. And, and what I say, what I mean is that, you know, I mean, prohibition is not even effectively over. Yet, so it's still 1932 or earlier if you want to just make a straight up, you know, alcohol comparison, mm -hmm. and uh, it it could change, it could change next year, it could change five years, it's whatever it is, it's going to ultimately change over time, but you know, nevertheless, you just you know, keep your head down and just know that it it is sort of history making, and that part of it makes it a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It really does. Yeah. I mean, just like with anything else. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, we love what you're doing, Skip, out there with Pacific Stone. So all of our California listeners, go check them out, as well as that Time Machine brand. That's super dope as well. So check them out. Uh, but Skip, we do have one final question for you. We are the okay. Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit yeah. or are you lucid? Um, I don't know. Is there a difference? I mean, <laughs> I would say that I'm lucid, but just because you're lit, I don't know that you're not lucid. I think there's a lot of people who are even more lucid when they're lit. Yeah. So, there you go. Yes. Holy cow, man. <laughs> yes. This is like the, the ultimate cannabis conversation here. That was good. <laughs> it's like a teeter-totter. It's like one second you're lit, the next you're lucid. And you're right. Like, you know, it, one could lead to the other. Yeah. So. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times when people are lit that come up with some pretty amazing epiphanies yeah. about Seriously. all things in life. So that sounds like a lucid moment to me. There you go. We just that got stumped. Perfect. This yeah. We've that was done super like philosophical. Hundreds of episodes, and we've never really got that answer. So, I like it. <laughs> that was great. It's usually like go. I'm both, but it's never like one leads to the other. Yeah. So, 
It was never like sick or sick. I don't know. Holy cow. I'm not even, I didn't even smoke anything, but I feel like it. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Skip, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Uh, But you guys, with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast is brought to you by Yoohoo Digital. Yoohoo Digital is a full service digital marketing agency specializing in website design, SEO, and social media management for cannabis and hemp businesses. Learn more at www.yoohoodigital.com.